0: Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. This is your host, George Muniz-Gund. I have another guest with us today. Um, Their name is Liz. Um, They are dyslexic. Um, Welcome, Liz. Hi, thanks for
1: having
0: me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for coming on. Um, So I have a few questions for Liz today. Uh, My first question is, how soon in your life did you realize that you were dyslexic and also how early, it's I guess a two-part question, how early did it affect you early on?
1: So um, I was diagnosed in second grade. um, And that was good to understand what was going on for me, Um, but it also changed my relationship with school a lot because I uh, grew up in the No Child Left Behind era, which meant that they also would do an IQ test at the same time. And dyslexics have extreme pattern recognition. That's the way that we read is actually pattern recognition as opposed to like the words. Mm -hmm. And so it is very, very common for dyslexics to measure very high on IQ tests. And so as a result of how I measured, I was not given the support that I needed. I'd previously been in um, like a reading difficulties class and they took me out of it after my diagnosis because they would lose funding for the school if if they gave it to a student that measured in a genius quotient, which I don't think that necessarily was the case. But it then gave me this complex about education that um, it was on my merits. It was on what I was going to learn, and so it shifted what school was for me. It became more about experimentation and the knowledge that I was going to fail, and seeking out those teachers that were more like understanding that I could I could be very functional and intelligent and have this extreme difficulty with reading um and that's actually what led me to theater was being able to learn to read on the fly Mm -hmm. was very important for all the english teachers who were not sympathetic and would make me have to read in class Mm. which is the worst and so i studied theater to be able to read in class
0: yeah well i mean that's a great way of like channeling you know your neurodivergence and It's also, you know, it shows how unfortunate it is that a lot of times, you know, when we're going through the education system, we have to carve our own paths and figure out, we have to figure things out on our own. um, Because a lot of times society around us won't help. Um, Yeah,
2: very true.
0: Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. That's, um, you know, I, I think it is it resonates with a lot of us um that experience yeah yeah um my next question is um what ways have you found you might have already answered this a little bit in the first question but what ways have you found to use being neurodistinct to your advantage
1: oh my god so many ways i wouldn't give up being dyslexic for anything i love it um I think it should have a different name because this, the diss this part makes it yeah. sound wrong, but I, um, I have an extreme memory as a result. I have a really, really good memory and I uh, am training for the memory sports championships. I can memorize a deck of cards on the fly really quickly. I'm at 12 minutes if I'm out of practice, um, under 10 if I'm practiced. Um, and like, I found out that I can speed read really well. Mm -hmm. Um, and just in general, I don't fully know if this is a dyslexic thing, but I always feel when I meet another dyslexic, there's some empathetic thing that we have going for us that like, it's just like, it feels like being born with an open heart Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And so I feel very comfortable relating to other people and I've never viewed dyslexia as a disadvantage I, because I had the, I was very fortunate that both of my parents are professors. So my mom looked at this as a learning opportunity mm-hmm. and we went and got books and mm-hmm. found out about color reading. So I had pink glasses in school to make it easier to read. Ah,
0: oh, nice.
1: But then when I, I discovered that I have a great memory and speed reading capabilities, I t- use that then for scripts where I would hold a thumb next to where I was at and it'd be able to glance down and keep the picture in front of me as I am like performing so then I don't have to be looking at my script as much. It looks like I've memorized it already.
0: Oh, wow. That's mm-hmm. great. Wow.
1: Yeah. Because all I'm doing is I'm taking that mm-hmm. pattern and keeping it in my brain as a picture. Yeah and stuff. So navigating that way. And then I also do a a lot of meditation and stuff. And the fact that dyslexics think in 3d makes it really easy for me to like get into my world. So then that's allowed me to deal with my anxiety, with my depression and that stuff to be able to be a more independent person when it comes to my own self-care. So like, there's so many elements of dyslexia that are, in my opinion, about like, viewing the world as more than just words it's Mm -hmm. it's actions it's feelings Mm -hmm. and stuff and so I feel like it's opened me up to more and of course I don't know a brain a different brain but like I feel like it's given me the opportunity to be more open to the world
0: yeah definitely wow that's see that's very enlightening and that's like one of the things I really like about talking to people with lived experiences because you're going to get a much more authentic true pure take on on these different neurotypes than you would by reading most of what's online which is, you know, these medical articles that are like talking about all these neurotypes as disorders and, you know, diseases and yeah, all the all the ableist stuff that's, you know,
1: Well, I'm even, I'm in some dyslexia support groups online. And even amongst the support groups, there is a lot of pushback about the idea that this is an advantage, not a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. I have, uh, there are people in there asking like, would you have kids with the risk that they might be dyslexic? And I'm like, that's why I like it, I am, there is so much that is put into these disorders,
2: mm-hmm. in quote
1: marks, um, that is somebody who doesn't understand trying to understand somebody that they don't respect.
2: Mm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so
1: when then when people then embody that disrespect that they've been given by the world, then it it removes their power from who yeah. they actually are. And it makes it so that they're like, I am flawed. I am.
0: Exactly. Oh my goodness.
1: You're just different. And it is your job to understand yourself, not some neurotypical person who is doing Mm
0: -hmm. their best. Exactly. Oh my God. That's just like, it's almost a mirror of the experience. Like what what I've been seeing with the autistic community as well is Mm -hmm. there are autistics out there that, do not like the concept of neurodiversity and the social model of disability, um, which a lot of us, including myself, advocate for, um, you know, fiercely. And like, I believe strongly in it. And it's like that you you talk, you read their posts and it's like their reasoning is like, you know, like they the same kind of, they'll, they'll say the same kind of stuff, like, you know, because of the struggles and, and everything. And it's like, that's valid that you have struggles, but you just need support for those struggles. And the fault shouldn't be your narrow type. The fault should be society not properly accommodating you. And then it's like these parents, like you get, oh, cause like I was just thinking recently about like this huge disconnect that there is in between. And I even did an uh, episode on it in between advocates researchers and parents is it's because the researchers and parents are like thinking about it from this totally wrong angle and they're just thinking about it from this disease mentality and they're putting the pro they're vilifying the dyslexia or autism or adhd and and they're just you know And then they they use this argument, there's this ongoing argument um, that, um, oh, you know, would you but think about the parents of the children, you know, with high support needs. And I'm like, well, yeah, like that, that's why we're advocating for more acceptance, like instead of like, oh, but, but let's just prevent neurodivergence, you know, it's anyways, it's That was very relatable because it's like, it's, I see that in the autistic community too.
1: Well, I think it's also from the parents perspective, I I noticed this with, there was a girl in school with me that also had dyslexia and the way my mom handled it was, I know my kid is smart, so it can't be that what you are saying that my kid is not smart is true. That is not a true thing. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a different solution and there was a girl in my class who her mom was so much more focused on oh my god this happened to me that my child has adhd and dyslexia and and like took on a victim mentality as the parent mm. that that like it was too much work for her to to then go out and do a little bit of extra research
2: mm-hmm.
1: whereas what my mom did was she went out at the very beginning and did a bunch of extra research and whenever i'd come to blocks she would do extra research and we'd work on like sometimes she would read my history book and then we would have discussions about it Mm. because of a lot of content and if i was getting too overwhelmed she would help me with that Mm. because she could read really well yeah but uh like we got audiobooks we did all this stuff and she gave me all these tools by helping me with this research to be more independent from her so she was then didn't have to live in this mentality of that I needed so much support, which is what she had been told would happen because she set me up to not need that support. Yeah, and, and I think that there is an element of if we make neurodivergence successful in their own right with a little bit of help, then they're not going to consider that help that we gave them. And so I want them to still need like, helicopter parenting is a thing for everybody and if you it activates something in your inner child wounds that like oh well now they're gonna need me forever there is both that anxiety of they're gonna need me forever Mm -hmm. and that like addictive rush of like they're gonna need me forever and so i think that it's it's understandable that people don't know how to deal with stuff but if they if the conversation at large in society is here are toolkits here's like your little adventurer pack that like like i play dungeons and dragons a rogue doesn't have the same backpack as a barbarian and stuff but when you get a party together everybody's got all the supplies they need
2: and Mm -hmm. stuff yeah
1: so i think if we look at it more like that as classes of brain types exactly than as like Here is neurotypical. Here is neurodivergent. These guys are independent, and these guys are not. Like I know plenty Mm -hmm. of neurotypicals that still need to call their mom every day to like tell them how to load the dishwasher or something.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: using independence as a metric for divergency from typicality—I don't um, know—is is commonly used and completely like
2: unnecessary yeah
0: it is and it's harmful and like stigmatizing too and it's like people don't think about like the prejudice that comes with it because i know people that will say this kind of stuff like and i know just because i know them like i know that they're not ill intended like it's not with ill intent but it's like they're just completely missing the point um yeah yeah so it's it's very interesting and I think that was a very good analysis because I had, I kind of like, you know, thought about that as well, but I think you put it very well. Thank you. Thanks. Um, So my next question, oh, actually a question that I had now that kind of just popped up um, because we were talking a lot about like visual thinking, Um, do you feel that because of you know your advantages with with visual thinking, it was easier for you to um with scenes in the meisner training because uh, i i i haven't mentioned to the the listeners but uh Liz is going through the meisner technique uh acting training um that the same training that i I completed um one year one year ago, around one year ago. Um and so yeah, anyways. Sorry, back to my question. Yeah.
1: No, definitely. Um I I think that just like it helps me with meditating, I apologize if you're barking. Okay. I have a support dog who is <laughs> very needy as well. Um you're fine. Um and so I think that my meditation helped with all of that i think that my neurodivergency helped with the meditation but in our first class our teacher says that um one of the biggest like tricks to the technique is being a child that spent a lot of time alone who has a big imagination and when you're Neurodivergent in school a lot of times you do end up either with your small group of like everybody's got some type of Divergency uh, thing or you end up alone cuz like I had uh, Like I would have really big emotional outbursts at times and stuff that would drive friends away But I also very much loved my fantasy worlds. And so when I didn't have friends in the real world I had friends in my brain That I hung out with and so develop the not only does the 3d thinking of dyslexia help me but I think also the lifestyle that neurodivergency can give you growing up that Mm. ideally will will be less for more kids as it becomes a bigger talking point but I do think that the lifestyle that I lived in where I was hyper independent I was the person advocating for me at school and stuff like that Mm. Um, made it so that I got much more intrinsically connected with my fantasy world to the extent where I'm actually writing what I call a metaphor of an autobiography, which is everything that I thought about throughout my life in, and these metaphors oh. uh, uh, the, because I I have had a very, very interesting life, but I don't care that much about it. I care much more about what I thought about at the time, and so... I'm putting that into a fantasy world. Um, And I think that that sort of lifestyle around neurodivergency is what actually makes it like, I think that somebody who had a lot of neurodivergent friends could also be very good at the technique. Mm. I think it's much harder when, but like, I also just think that understanding neurotypicals is harder, like to be able to like read people the way that we're supposed to as well as air for a neurotypical, because they're not, they're they're not getting so much stimulus information. Yeah,
0: I felt that it was a challenge that I had throughout the training. Was like particularly doing, particularly doing moment to moment work. Um, it would it would be a lot of times there would be like a misread because it's like what I was reading would be, to me, would just be different than Jim's, you know, perception of what I should be reading or how I should be reacting. And this actually happened in my final scene. Um It was an interesting thing because it brought up, and I didn't, it's too bad that I didn't really know as much about neurodivergence back then as I do now. But now I look back at it and what happened was a classic case of, um autistic empathy versus neurotypical empathy and jim was expecting me to act in a way in the scene that was more like neurotypical empathy and that's just not the impulse that my brain has so what what it it was basically was um my mother so the scene was me coming to check on my mom at her house um and my mom was uh, schizophrenic, and she used to be this very, um, you know, the uh, blanking on the word. She used to be this very like uh, very respected um, professor at her local uh, the local university. And, um, you know, unfortunately, she had had, you know, my father had passed away and she had had some struggles with her mental health and she was kind of, you know, not doing so great anymore and she had retired. And so I was going to check on her at her house and she's outside with no sweater and 30, 30 degrees out and she's like working on these, uh, formulas and, She's like really excited and she says it's like this new project that she's working on and she wants me to take a look. So I take a look and she's like really excited and really hoping that this is like her big comeback and like that I'm going to look at it cuz I I'm a, I happen to be a graduate student in math as well at the time. And um you know that I'm going to like want to work with her and and this is great. And I look with and I look at it and I start the scene is like towards the end of the scene, I start realizing that it's gibberish. And I'm not quite sure how to tell her, but I'm, like, you can see that I'm, like, realizing it. And then she realizes that I'm realizing that. So she starts getting emotional, getting really sad, you know? And, um, so... This is the kind of moment where like, I feel like for most autistic people, sometimes the impulse is not to go up to the person and comfort them and kind of give them space. And, and then, you know, if the moment is right, you ask for if they need support, Mm
2: -hmm. because
0: like sometimes for a lot of us, and of course I can't speak for all of us, but like for a lot of us, that's what we want, that we want to, like, have our space, but it it's not even about that, it's just about, like, also recognizing, like, everyone has their own preference in terms of how they want to be comforted, and I remember Jim, he even had us redo the final part of the scene, because he was, like, in the breakdown, he said he was critical of the fact that I, he was like, this is your mom, you should go up and comfort her. This is your mom. And I'm like, as, like, as if I didn't care about my mom. But yeah. it's like, I care. I'm just showing it in my own way.
1: It's just our boundaries are very different. Yeah. And like, I definitely, there have been times when I've gotten notes where I've gone, Oh, okay, like, this is the mask. Like, I think that masking has actually been one of the best tools that I've learned as an actor. Um, like for my acting, because if I have to mask to be mm-hmm. semi neurotypical, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. still putting on a show. I'm still mm-hmm. not being myself. And so, m- in general, my notes that I, I get are like the mask slipped a little bit, mm-hmm. and I was yeah. just like, like
0: yeah, like sort of
1: like a, a calm piece mm-hmm. is is how I <laughs> always think of it, and. And it's just like, oh right, i gotta be i gotta be yeah a it's it's which is annoying
0: it just shows like like how the acting and I know that Jim does this because it's how the acting industry is, but it shows that the acting industry is very ableist,
1: yeah, yeah, and then they'll they'll write a show about an autistic person and then cast a neurotypical exactly
0: like, exactly, and yeah. so
1: then you they're not getting the actual displays of what these various different brain types like actually relate to the world and Mm -hmm. so like like I understand that there are certain people that like it would be very difficult to work with like I've worked with children and kids on their own are very difficult and stuff so like it it can be hard to cast a certain level of neurodivergence but I think give it a try yeah but, uh-huh. hey, go as far as you can into getting like and of course we're actors so we want to be able to play roles that aren't just to who we are yeah of course but it would like there's no like movies about dyslexics other than like percy jackson
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is like it te- it's because you read greek and it's like i wish i could read greek that would be so good yeah but like more heroes that actually represent what we're going through
0: yeah more authentic (laughs) representation yeah and not just like these stigmas and oh my god there's a show that drives me crazy the good doctor um oh yeah i've
2: seen
1: the poster and i was like i don't want
0: to yeah it's literally like you know back when like last year like when i was just starting to enter this whole world and figure this stuff out I liked it in the very beginning because I was like, oh, the only thing I was thinking at the time was like, oh, it's a show that actually shows some positive traits of autism. And that is one positive thing about it. But then as I started watching it and it progressed, I realized, I'm like, wait a second, this is like very stereotypical. Like they make it, they have to make it clear in every scene that he's autistic Um, and it's like this he's like this prop and yeah yeah and he's the, cause, the
1: higher the the like oh well we're gonna we're gonna make it an edgy show because we're gonna include one neurotypical that we're gonna say like has some level yeah. of stuff together
0: mm-hmm.
1: so yeah like i i 100 get that it, yeah
0: it's just, like, they don't give him any personality. It drives me crazy because it's in the sixth season now. And I'll watch it, and I'll watch it for a critical, like, you know, just to watch it critically. And I'm like, but, like, it's, it's like, how? Like, how do they just not... I mean, and it's on purpose. I mean, it's on purpose that they don't give him any personality, and it's frustrating because then, yeah.
1: It's like, have you met an autistic person? <laughs> Every autistic person I've met has more personality than you know to
0: <gasps> do. Yeah, it's this just very, like, stereotypical thing. Yeah, it's,
1: it's the, it's a script written from the perspective of somebody that, like, read an article.
0: Mm-hmm. As
1: opposed to, like, is surrounded by it.
0: Yeah, exactly. I
1: could very easily write an entirely neurodivergent script, and it would just be full of, like, a lot of fun facts. Yeah. But for the most part... <laughs> The one common thing I know about neurodivergence is everybody loves fun facts. Like, mm-hmm. Yep. It's all we want.
0: Yep. It's, yeah.
2: It's our currency.
0: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, okay, I guess I, wow, I think I kind of asked you this one already because I asked you about scenes. It was, my question was going to be how I was going through the Meisner training as a neurodivergent person. Um, um
1: it's pretty it's pretty good um I have the benefit of I already have an acting degree mm. so I I had this really aggressive teacher who I loved because I love I love a teacher that'll just tell it straight like I don't you know have to be nice just mm-hmm. give me the information that I need and uh she in my final performance of intermediate acting was like, you don't know how to walk like a person. You don't know how to talk like a person. Like, you don't know how to do any people stuff sort of thing. And I was just like, cool. And asked questions Mm -hmm. and wrote it down. And I wrote everything down. And I came in for final performance then and changed up what I did. I took all the notes that she said. And that was a really... I was doing um, Uncle Vanya by Chekhov and I was doing this scene where I was just supposed to be like, like this 40 year old man who was the only person I ever saw that I wasn't related to. Like I had a crush on and I had to like, and I, he like left a room and I missed him immediately. Wow. And that's wow. all the, the crux of it. But I, I like really changed what my onstage feeling was like, it, it was, like, what the mask I was wearing was. And after that, and my teacher was like, I've never been speechless before. You made me speechless. I was like, okay, I get a basic element of this. It's supposed to be when I'm alone. Like, the person that I am when I'm alone, but then, like, just a little bit heightened and stuff. Mm. And after that, that really impacted my ability to, like, when I chose monologues, I, um, I... All good now, no stress, but I previously was uh, suicidally depressed as a kid. Mm. And so I chose a monologue like that. I made it really close to home and stuff like that. And then was able to, without much work with that monologue, be like very emotionally connected to the words. And that got me endless, endless work. Uh, every, Every job that I used that monologue on, I would get hired. And so I, I already had this, this element of like a real mask to wear when acting and stuff. But there was, and like, I learned the rules really fast. I learned a lot of it really fast. I was always like doing pretty good, but letting the, uh, but once I got all the rules in place, the hardest part was then taking off the mask Mm. that I have worked so hard at. And I, so I just started like choosing things where like, I. I know I was an angry kid and so I just started choosing anger like and going for things that would piss me off and stuff like that and it finally took actually um one of my I was I was just supposed to be dismissing him but uh one of my classmates threw out my salad that I was actually going to eat that night Mm. and for some neurodivergence can can relate to the fact that like I don't want to do that twice in a day that was way too much dopamine to lose in that moment and I couldn't, and I was in front of a first session class demonstrating and I lost all my shit. And Mm. I had the benefit of my scene partner was also queer and stuff like that. So we had like a bond where I didn't feel worried about him being like offended by my turn, taking off the mask. So we've been practicing that. And I just started screaming and yelling that I hoped I ruined his life, which is not something I normally would say and stuff. But it took the mask off in a very aggressive way. And after that, like, it's still sometimes hard to do it. And, like, if I'm tired, it'll be – I feel like like Jim Carrey in The Mask where I'm, like, trying to yank it off. Yeah,
0: yeah, because it's – that's – that's the thing, like, if you mask for too long, it, it can be really exhausting, and it, it yeah. just builds up, you know, it's not good, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so Jim has been really working with me about, like, like that I'm too cl- buttoned up, is what he always says, I'm too buttoned up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, because I got a whole ass, like, different person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All. And based on, like, the characters that he gives me, I'm non-binary, uh, mostly transmasculine, actually. Mm-hmm. He gives me very waifish women who are very high femme and stuff. And I'm like, that's cause that's the mask you see. And I've asked for male characters and he hasn't, he's mm-hmm. been open to it, but hasn't and stuff. And so like the most that you can get is that I think he thinks I'm a lesbian and like, we're getting there. Uh, but it's, it very much is the fact of like, I have all these masks on mm-hmm. and, and the hardest part of the training is that we have to be the most authentic version of ourselves, yeah. And, for me, that poses a lot of risk of failure, which mm. as somebody that like worked my ass off to be uh, in school and like mildly successful is really difficult to deal with. And if I switch and like there's elements of the way that I relate is by calling moments on myself to mm-hmm. be more yeah. of a mm-hmm. person around. And that's not what the technique is. I know stuff. yeah. And so, like, it—it it definitely is this thing of like, I—I I don't necessarily feel like I'm fully taking off the mask, mm-hmm. but like maybe poking holes in it or yeah, a new one, yeah, because I don't think that the technique is fully capable of working with neurodiversity. It's true. Yeah, it's and true. so that's that's the bigger shebang it has worked to make uh relating with other people really Mm -hmm. um, easier is to to figure out how to work with neurotypical yeah it has keep calling your moments i'm gonna
0: call your moments that's right i
1: learned how to ask questions
0: i loved that too yeah because it was like you know what i could just say like what i'm actually thinking when i see Mm -hmm. this because in society we're always conditioned to like a lot of times not say it Mm -hmm. and 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 then that was such a like a a, a a, mind-opening thing for me I remember in first session because I was like oh I could just I could say what I'm actually thinking oh wow <laughs> um but then it's like you said you know it's like you're expected in in some cases you're expected to unmask but then you're still kind of, because of the nature of the training you're still kind of expected to have this mask on sometimes um so it's tricky it's like Definitely not ideally built for neurodivergence, Um, and I wonder, that's even a conversation that I think I could maybe have with Jim one day um and see if you know he would be open to maybe modifying that a little bit like still keeping the authenticity of the core teachings Mm -hmm. but modifying it so it's a little more like inclusive towards neuro
1: or even just i think having some early neurodivergency classes or Mm -hmm. or options like in my class i'm i'm an outspoken advocate for like neuro superpowers and so um there's a Person in my class that has ADD and she was struggling with breakdowns Mm -hmm. and recap and her memory and stuff like that. And I was like, Oh, I got you. Here's your set of tools. Yeah. There's another dyslexic in the class. I was like, I got you. Here's your set of tools and stuff. And so, Mm -hmm. like, even if he had somebody like you or me on staff that could be approached with questions about, like, Hey, I don't even know if I'm neurodivergent, but this aspect of the training is hard on my brain how can I improve it? And it's like, great. Here's a whole bunch of stuff that I know. Um, yeah. but like okay. mem- the memory sports is a thing that I learned to make my life easier. And, and then it is also very fun. And so I told the ADHD person, build a memory palace, practice remembering one thing from the day and stuff like that. And just like, give yourself 10 minutes to relax and work on your memory.
2: Yeah, And
1: she's been doing it since. And, her breakdowns have gotten way more concise. She's able to remember everything way better. And she's like, like in two weeks, she's improved drastically. And so like, it's very easy tools to implement, but if you go in and your only toolkit is Meisner, that's gonna make it really difficult if you've got a little bit more cracks in your toolbox.
0: Mm-hmm, true, yeah. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Um... Yeah, it's just, it's interesting, you know, I've done a lot of reflecting, like, after I finished the training, and it's, like, there's, like, definitely several moments that I was, like, wow, it would have been really helpful to know more about my neurodivergence, and understand, like, what I, what I need to ask for, and, because, like, I feel like maybe I would have gotten at least some accommodations, Mm-hmm. If I had asked and if I had known like what to ask for. But, you know, it's all part of the journey. And like, I know now and now it's a great thing that I could potentially help others. Um, you are
2: helping others with your
0: podcast. Yeah, I, it's true. It's true. I'm doing that already a little bit. And it's like, um, I was talking the, the episode I did with Faina recently. Well, she told me a little bit off mic. And then we talked a little bit on, on mic about how she was really struggling with this certain exercise in the business class, and there's kind of this, this disconnect with Jim, where she went to him, and she was actually, like, kind of emotional, and, like, she's really, you know, she's really sensitive, and so she, you know, gets really emotional about, like, oh my god, I can't understand this, like, I need to, I need to figure this out, and, and everything, and then he's all kind of just kind of you know jim's ways sometimes is kind of rough you know he's kind of like
1: yeah i definitely i think he's a, a good teacher but i definitely have gone to him for support and he's just been like everything's fine like what do you like you're doing good exactly like, the it, point of the question it, is is not how well i'm doing it is it's that like, to understand
0: that yeah i need to understand this and so yeah because he she said she he was just like Oh, do you know? No, you just you doing it wrong. You need to do it this way and this way and this way and and but then she she leaves and she's like, I, you know, yeah. yeah. So, anyways, it's I've even like I told her like you know if because like they might have to do this exercise again one more time and you know I told her if if you guys have to do it again. And he's and you're struggling with it, and you need to understand. And he's not, you know, explaining it properly to you. And then, cause she'll be like, you know, she she told me she's like sometimes he'll say something, even if it's not like ill intended, like, and she won't be able to sleep at night. Um. So it's like, I told her like if this happens again, you can reach out to me, and all I can advocate for you because, mm. you know, that's where it's really you know, the the advocacy work is that's I guess the core. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: well I will say also Kyla seems much more well versed on yeah sorts of things. So she's been my advocate.
0: Nice. And
1: when when in doubt I I feel very comfortable reaching out to Kyla. She's so freaking smart. Yeah. And true. and is somebody that, that Jim listens to and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Uh, and is like like, I'm third session, so I wouldn't reach out to other students for mm-hmm. assistance, but, like, also Maeve, who is Maeve.
0: Maeve is great. I had her on yeah. the podcast, too. Yeah. She's
1: great. I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so both of them are are a little bit more delicate, I would say, yeah. about, like, and, or, like, thoughtful mm-hmm, about the true. way that they respond to these yeah. kinds of questions and stuff. And I think it's just the generation.
0: Mm-hmm. It is a little they're... bit of that. Mm-hmm
1: and stuff and so it's easier for them to be like yeah like i have i i have neurodivergent yeah i'm sure jim does Mm -hmm. but it just like wasn't in his yeah
2: meal house
0: faina even said that he might have undiagnosed adhd
2: Oh, no, he 100% does. Yeah, like okay. Yeah, because
0: that. Yeah.
1: I don't even think it's undiagnosed. I think he just refuses it.
0: He refuses it, maybe, yeah. Yeah,
1: he doesn't, because he's said uh, to me before that, um, like, if he grew up in the modern era, that, like, he would have been diagnosed as ADD. Mm, yeah.
0: Mostly. And, and
1: that he was just viewed as, like, athletic it's or true. It's true, like, it's like a lot
0: of us, so, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, wow. so, like, but I have also noticed a difference between people that are just ADD or mm-hmm. ADHD and people that are more, like, dyslexic, autistic, and stuff on the neurodivergent spectrum. Yeah. In terms of, like, that, like that's, like, a fast yeah. neurodivergence, whereas ours is, like, mm-hmm. a more slow neurodivergent. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I have, it's interesting, like, I have... I'm pretty sure that I have both autism and ADHD, more hyperactive ADHD. And so it's very interesting because it's like, I feel like I can feel both extremes throughout one day. I'll have the more quiet side. um, And then I'll have moments where I'm like really hyperactive, either, you know, talking or mentally. And I'm just like, you know, I need like, sometimes I need stimulation but mm-hmm. then sometimes I'm overstimulated. Um, so it's interesting. I've been noticing like that kind of um, those extreme ends and, and how they both kind of mesh together. So that's, you know.
1: Well, I think we all have like a lot of element. Like I think the, the reason why neurodivergent to me is such a great term is it it reminds me of queer. Like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm gender fluid, pansexual, all sorts of like things to say. Queer is one word. I have been diagnosed officially dyslexic, but like I've been told I'm close to the autism spectrum. I'm like potentially ADHD. There's like the salad of who I am is very rich with a lot of like different veggies. And so that's where, like, I I think that understanding that, like, even if all you have is autism, all I have mm-hmm. is dyslexia, how my dyslexia is going to show up is going to be different than someone yeah, else's
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah.
1: And even within dyslexia, a lot of people don't know that we have, like, uh, dyscalculia and stuff mm-hmm. is a different thing. It doesn't mean that, like, every dyslexic has dyslexia yeah. and stuff. And so like I think what's really cool for the entire world neurotypicals included b- is that like the more knowledge we get about the diversity within the neurodivergency community the more we can realize that that's also true of neurotypicals and we hmm. can stop having it be these like like the quote unquote broken people and the Exactly,
0: people. exactly, the, yeah.
1: And instead being like hey, like, what, how do you like to be related to? How -hmm. do you, like, one of my favorite things that happens with, like, the non-binary community is, like, we ask questions like, what words are you vibing with right now to be flirted with? Like, would you want to be called beautiful? Would you want to be called handsome? Would you want to be called sexy? Mm. Before we even give a compliment, like, I'm intending on giving you a compliment. How would you want to? Yeah,
0: I like that. That's, like... Yeah.
1: And so like like I I intend to teach you what is the best way to teach you. I also have a teaching certificate and mm-hmm. one of the things they teach us is about like kinesthetic learners and stuff and, and how to start looking out for the different learners. But I think it would be so much better if we just straight up ask people like yeah. how do you want to learn? What makes you happy? And like my dad's a professor, so I have this added uh bonus that He became Dean and they created, they partnered with um, a dating app, Mm. use their algorithm to find students. Oh. Because they, instead of saying, are you good at math? They just would ask, do you like math? Because the understanding was that if you really like doing something, even if you are not naturally gifted at it, like I was very much not a naturally gifted actor, like Mm -hmm. so bad so bad. I can't go back and watch stuff. And so like it, but I loved it. I loved it so much that I put in 10,000 hours plus into learning how to do this. And I'm still learning how to do this. And I'm adamant that I will always be learning how to do this. Somebody that feels that way about math is going to be a great mathematician, Mm -hmm. regardless of where they start out. And so instead of viewing the world in what are you good or bad at, it's what do you want to be good or bad at? Yeah. And teaching them that way. Exactly. And so I think that could help everybody across the spectrum.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah.
1: Change to like, what do you like?
0: What's yeah, up? exactly. Like every individual, you know, should have their path that works for them. Instead mm-hmm. of like, oh my God, I'm so tired of like this, expectation these expectations you know like you have to go this way. yeah 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 exactly tiny box yeah
1: otherwise otherwise we gotta medicate you or or tell you something's wrong about you that you gotta hide no that's that's Mm
0: done yeah no true (laughs) like that's the goal that like you know eventually one day we get to the point where we we don't need you know the characterizations and everything yeah um so did i i think i might have missed this question i I don't think i i asked it yet but how was um how did coming out non-binary compared to telling people that you're neurodivergent
1: um non-binary was harder uh, and I think I, I was thinking, this was the question that I was actually thinking about the most was, I think that people didn't mind my being dyslexic as much because it felt like I was sharing a fault, mm.
2: um,
1: Whereas, like, I have some people that that when I tell them, they like roll their eyes and like, I'm not gonna treat you special or something." I'm like, "I'm not
0: that kind of micro." Saying
1: that, I was just you were asking me why I don't read 58 Mm -hmm. books a year, and I was saying I would love to, yeah, but it's not something that is like Mm -hmm. comfortable for my brain, Mm -hmm. um, and I don't stress myself out to be a person I'm not, yeah. Uh, Whereas I'm also polyamorous, and both those my the people that i i I came out to were like but i'm a woman but i'm a man but i i don't want to date multiple people i want to be monogamous and stuff and it became so much about them yeah and and that i was passing judgment on them and their lifestyles by um the fact that where like, like it was some people viewed it as that like from my perspective that I was saying that I was better than them in some way because I had like gotten rid of the binary or like I could not feel jealousy like polyamorous people still feel jealousy plenty Mm -hmm. it's just that we don't view it as the other person's problem and like so when, when they viewed it as like oh that's just something you have to deal with like I'm so sorry for you I can be really sympathetic to you that you are suffering from this thing. And, and they get more weirded out when I go, I'm not suffering.
0: Yeah, it's true. I'm, There's like this, yeah, exactly. Like,
1: I love this part of me. And then I start listing off like, I've got a great memory. I can do all this mm-hmm. stuff. And then they're like, okay, don't brag. And I'm like, no, I'm defending no, I'm just, the, yeah. the <laughs> thing that you thought was a flaw about mm-hmm. me, that I love it. Yeah. Whereas coming out, I feel like is and natural act of self-love
2: mm-hmm.
1: like, and people kind of understand that. And if they have their own hang ups about maybe their binary, their relationship with the binary or their own jealousy issues, polyamory was actually the one, like my parents were very upset about the non binaryness um, but I'd come out as bisexual previously and stuff like, like I'd been queer forever. Yeah. And, and my mom's biggest issue was that she had, she looks like me.
0: Like mm. I look like
1: a spinning image of her and she was a tomboy. And so she kept trying to like read into it how I was making a statement about her and
0: stuff. making it about, about her. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah. Whereas which she didn't do at all when I was dyslexic. Cause mm-hmm. she was like, I'm a great reader. Like this obviously isn't about me. And I was like, yeah, you also don't date women. Like you don't, you you don't dress in drag, like, just because yeah. both know how to use power tools doesn't mean that's what gender's about. Mm-hmm. Like, and so, yeah, I felt like people are much more open to sh- sharing what they perceive as a flaw than at sharing something that is a truth that they can't understand that you love about yourself.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And
1: so that's, that's been my, my relationship with both is that no, the bigger issue is that it's me loving myself in public, like Mm -hmm. not in a dirty way, but like, and so it's, it's really hard for people who are struggling with their own self-love to be excited for you. Yeah. Like, True which is where like my neurodivergent friends and my queer friends have been so awesome because we've all had to go through this journey of self-love. Yep. And, because the rest of the world was telling us not to.
0: Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so, so everybody is on the other side of that, that mm-hmm. conversation. And I, and it's kind of what makes me really sad for neurotypicals and like straight cis people that a lot of them don't feel that they have, a pushing element on them to go through that self-love journey. They they pretty much should. They They should, they should. Yeah, everybody Mm -hmm. should go through a process of um, what's called shadow work of like checking out yourself and going, I like this part, I'm keeping this part. I don't like this part because I don't like it, not because society tells me not to like it. And this is going to be the smorgasbord mural of who I am that I have decided upon. Yeah. So, yeah, it it was it was very fascinating. Once I really started to love myself for being dyslexic, it became harder.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It's like, I definitely relate to this whole thing about, like, it can be a slippery slope. Like, I have to be really comfortable with the person to tell them that I'm autistic because mm-hmm. I know that it's like, Uh, still like so many people have this misconstrued view of autism where they're automatically thinking of it as a negative thing. And, and it it gets kind of annoying. Like if I, I don't want to tell someone, Hey, I'm autistic. And this is, you know, inside of me, like it's something I'm really proud of and have them be like, Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I had no idea. And I'm like, well, yeah like, yeah, like you're telling them you have
1: cancer. It's like <clears throat> I'm fine.
0: I'm okay, I'm good. I'm like, it's not a bad thing. I'm like, Jesus, it drives me crazy. Oh my God, so I'm like, I have to kind of vet people and like make sure like you know that they're gonna like even if they don't understand it now, like they they they'll be open to learning about it. Mm-hmm. Um, not the kind of like person that's going to be like, cause there are people out there that I know that I just don't think they would understand mm-hmm. autism or they would probably gaslight me or say something, some kind of microaggression. So, um, I just don't even mention it. Cause I'm like, I'm yeah.
1: Yeah. I make a mm-hmm. point for me. I, I always also make a point to my friends. They don't have to do this. I make a point for me to live as loud and proud as I can yeah. because I I come from um like I'm white and middle class like I come from a privileged background and stuff like that so I've I'm not at like in danger super much for Mm -hmm. like I wouldn't I wouldn't like go to a frat house and be like I'm queer and in drag like that's not gonna work but um I'm, I'm so many things that are, that make me happy are things that other people wouldn't understand.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like, so I have decided uh, a little while ago that like, I'm going to just be the loud representation in your life that you need. And yep. if you don't like it, then you can go away. Yeah. But like, it has resulted in like, uh, my first class of Meisner mm. um, Jim said uh, like both genders will be doing this so I came up afterwards I was like hey FYI more than uh, two yeah. genders in the room I'm non-binary my pronouns are they them and he was like what did I say and I was like everything's fine like don't worry my pronouns are they them
2: yeah like
1: <laughs> and then I didn't push it um, mm-hmm. but after about a month he approached me saying he realized he kept messing up and he was really sorry. And then for two weeks he would only say my name. He would say no pronouns. And then like eventually started to get it. And he still messes up periodically.
0: Yeah,
1: really, It's really hard for him when he casts me as a female character,
0: mm-hmm.
2: my
1: characters pronouns are she, her,
0: but you're, they've
1: Mm-hmm. And and it be, I was like you just cast me as a dude and <laughs> it'll probably be easier for you yeah
0: mm-hmm, exactly um, or non-binary I mean we're yeah. like,
1: I, not but it's because he uses all these like seven old
0: movies. scenes yeah um, exactly yeah.
1: um but I I had a conversation with my brother where he said like why do you give this guy so much credit when like you don't give our parents credit and mm. I go well Mom took me aside and said, like, I will never respect your gender and, like, you will always be my daughter and I will do what I want. This man who had no investment in me said these things. And so it's much harder for me to be out and loud with my immediate family. And, like, my immediate family has since gotten better. But, like, my mom's side of the family, my dad's side of the family, when we're at, like, family functions, I know I'm going to get a lot of stuff yeah
0: I feel the same thing
1: yeah and I I was at dinner with one of my cousins that I've been close with my entire life my dyslexia diagnosis has not been a like new thing and I was talking with somebody and it came up and she just went Liz you're not dyslexic you just make up things about yourself to be interesting and I was like excuse you and I, I'm very close with her mother, so I went uh, mm-hmm. and talked to her afterwards, and she was just like, "Yeah, it." She's just very insecure, like, and and can't handle your security in this part of yourself. And I think that that's a lot of people. Sure. So like, that, despite the fact that it makes me sad that that created more distance between me and that person, it told me that. She's not healthy enough in herself
0: yeah, to be
1: worthy of my a relationship with me.
0: Yeah, it's very and, showing. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: it's. See, I I just can't be bothered to wonder if somebody's worth my time anymore. I'm too
0: busy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's. Yeah, it just I it's that's a very interesting thing that I hadn't given much thought before about how like when people aren't comfortable yet with themselves and like they're putting on these masks and you know trying to be this this thing this person that they're not really so then you come you know and you're like yeah i'm this and this and this and i'm really happy about it and then you know they i think it is kind of an internalized um uh jealousy yeah yeah
1: yeah, um, I also think it's funny that in the queer community and the neurodivergent community, we find each other without being at, having to tell. So mm-hmm. like, like there's always a moment where finally somebody goes like, "I'm dyslexic," and I'm go, "Me too." Oh yeah, my God! Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: This is why we lied so hard? It
0: you know? did. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I have a friend who I've known since kindergarten, since like before I moved to Brazil and then came back, and. I just found out recently that they're also autistic. Mm-hmm. And and it's like, I was like, well, no wonder we were, like, the people that really connected. Like, and then, like, everyone else, it was hard for us to connect with, like, both of us. and But mm-hmm. we just connected with each other really well. And then it's crazy. Like, I got my diagnosis, like, in 2010. And, like, because we studied together, like, in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So then I got mine seven years later, and then she got hers in like twenty. They got theirs, and they used to present as female. They mm-hmm. got theirs in um, twenty seventeen. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so.
0: yeah,
1: and it, that's just how it works. So I, I also feel like you don't have to tell everybody because your your people will be like, I recognize my my tribe, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like even to the extent where I think that like queerness has its own elements of brain structure the way that like straightness or whatever you would call it, um, does. Cause like my two best friends are ace. Like there's just something about ace people that I freaking dig. I've even written like a love song to ace people. And like, there's just, and then there's like memes about the chaotic bisexual friend, which is all of us.
2: Mm -hmm. Like,
1: and, and like, I meet so many, uh, like, I'm, I'm dating a, a few other bisexuals right now. And there's one that's a redneck and proudly identifies as it, but oh there's God. still like that element of chaos, bisexual and mm-hmm. in, in stuff. And it's very different than the non-binary, like school teacher in England that, but there's like still this like tribalism to how our brains and bodies work.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And I think that like, everybody has that. Like, I always say that I have bro time. Like I love hanging mm-hmm. out with bros, We like drink beer and watch the game and just get muscles <laughs> and have a frat house and stuff. And that is a tribe and bros tribe together. And yeah. right? so if we view it more, like if we viewed all of these things instead of it like as separating qualities, as as finding missions, you got to find your adventuring party, and and like all the all your brain is, all your body is, all your experiences are are ways for you to better find your tribe. Yeah, uh, and so it would be like sure, there can be some neurotypicals on my team. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to say no. Yeah, but like I I the every time I think I have a neurotypical friend, they're like, oh no, I'm this, and I'm like.
0: it's okay it's like because people don't get it i feel like i feel like people sometimes think think of it as like we're like anti-neurotypical we are
2: we want to be friends with
0: them we we want to be friends we just need to like communicate on the same level and a lot of times there's just a such a disconnect and the neurotypical person many times isn't willing to understand our communication because they are they've been conditioned to think that we're disordered or wrong. So we Mm -hmm. need to adapt to to their world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I have a neuro, uh, neurotypical, um, cis straight partner right now who there are definitely drops in our conversation and stuff, but he's learned how to like, how to chat with me. I've learned how to chat with him and it's been more of a learning experience than a lot of my other partners, but Mm -hmm. worth it. And and stuff, and he's and he covers the same things that I care about, which is like a good soul and a person that's like kind and smart. Yeah. And so like it, but I also know that like at times he's like, okay, you've shown me like twenty costumes. Let's talk about like human things, and I go right, right, yeah. right, 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 right. Like, mm. thank you for diverting me back because I got very excited about a thing, and I don't know how to turn off the excitement. Yeah. Mm. So like we wanna love if any neurotypicals are listening, we wanna love you. We're just Yes, we wanna love you
0: guys.
1: (laughs) We're doing our best. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um so I have two more questions. Um what one of them is what has been the most challenging part of this whole journey for you?
1: Um the beginning. The very beginning. Uh when like when I both found out that, like, when I was told that I was broken and that nobody was going to fix me, like, was was a really big confusion. And the, like, years that followed where I was being called stupid a bunch mm. and stuff and, like, like a, feeling really, really othered. Mm-hmm. by by my diagnosis and stuff and like like I couldn't even freaking spell it um and it it took the research that my mom did and stuff and I think actually coming out mm-hmm. was the the which was like over a decade later um or maybe not over a, I, I did technically come out at 14 but like as non-binary yeah the like understanding my gender made it a lot easier to love the uh, parts of myself that other people had told me not to um but yeah like it for me it was the societal reaction to it like it was the the ever having to fucking stand apologize uh ever having to stand up and like read in front of a class and stuff and and hearing all the other students snickering and things cuz i i couldn't figure out this word it like it's maybe one that i haven't seen a lot and and so i have i haven't put it into the like pattern software in my brain or it's a new word oh my god anytime there was a new word or a name god i hated it and so like It's, it's very strange that I went from being terrified to read in front of people to read a job reading in front of people Mm -hmm. or saying words in front of people. But at the same time, it, it felt so abundantly necessary because otherwise I probably wouldn't have graduated. If I did, I wouldn't have gone to college. Like theater really was the thing that saved me. And so prior to theater, like I, I was pretty much in theater like two years later.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But prior to that, I, I sort of was like, like I was told, I'd be a really good construction worker mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with construction workers It's a dope job. It's very stable, but I was told it from a perspective of that. You aren't going to be able to go to college. You aren't going to be smart enough to do you're cause I wanted to be an architect. And they were like, you're not going to be able to do that. You're going to mm-hmm. be a construction worker. Mm-hmm. And constantly having my goals diminished. Yeah. Both that I was trusting to mm-hmm. give me that didn't understand me. Yeah. And so once I realized that no one was ever going to understand me, it made life a lot easier.
0: Yeah, I relate to that for sure because it's like, you know, like the reason why I didn't look so much into my diagnosis in the beginning is I I just kept being told all these negative things, and it was all about like oh, what I can't do, or you know, you know what what the struggles will be, um, and I, I guess there was some acknowledgement of like some positives, but it the whole narrative it wasn't really, you know I didn't really have access to the whole neurodiversity paradigm for a while, um, and that would have been really helpful back then. Um but you know eventually I did get there and then I once I realized oh okay no wonder there's all these struggles it's not because I'm broken it's because I'm different and then it was just that opened it all up
2: Yeah
1: exactly like once once it, you all you have to do is reframe a couple sentences that are said to you Yeah and it changes the whole game
0: Yeah Yeah exactly yeah. Um, my final question is what has been the most gratifying of part of this whole journey?
1: Um, helping other people probably. Um, cause I have come up with so many tools on my own that like other, other folks and, and with the assistance of my mom and people that I trusted, but like other folks that I encounter who, who like, the number of times i meet somebody and they go i'm dyslexic and i go do you know about color reading and they go no and i go all right and like i will be like drunk at a party doing my best to write out instructions about and websites and stuff and i'll just be like you know what just text me in the morning and i'm going to send you like a bunch of articles on stuff and i recently had a woman say she had been really dying to go back to school to get her master's and didn't think she could do it and after one conversation with me she's applying for next year
2: wow. and
1: is like confident that she actually has a superpower that is going to make it so that she's better at her degree than that she has something that is going to prevent her from even going for it and so like I'm so incredibly grateful that like I have the opportunity to help other people like me like with understanding their superpower. And one of my dreams as like in life is to open a school for um, talented neurodivergence um, who are underprivileged, Mm -hmm. like, because I, I came from privilege and I definitely know that that helped me with it. And so having a school out there that is free and, has all the resources like I view it as a superhero school and I've spent Mm -hmm. like when I was in school and not getting the help that I needed I would take notes on what I needed in that time and I have books on books on books of notes about like how to make a school that would actually work for neurodivergence and when I tell neurotypical friends they go can anybody go because like I want to go I like and so one of the things that I've loved is that um by education failing me I've realized that education needs to change. It's like one of the least changed industries in the past like couple centuries and stuff like that. it's <laughs> yeah. staying the exact same. It's just to get kids out of the house and off the farm and it's like that's dumb. Um mm-hmm. and so like having the opportunity to constantly examine my education meant that I also have the opportunity to constantly examine the world that I'm in and always come to my own um, like conclusions about my world as opposed to accepting that society is right all the time.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I can I certainly relate to that as well.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, wow, this was, uh, this was a pleasure. Uh, Um, thank you for coming on. This was a really fun episode. Um, I hope you all listen. I hope you all, all your listeners, you all enjoyed this one. Uh, thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.